Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and this is the podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. Today, my guest is Stephanie Palmer of Good in a Room. It's a book, and it's a website, and it's a uh, teaching resource for uh, filmmakers, especially uh, screenwriters. Now, Stephanie was the former director of creative affairs for MGM, so she actually sat in on over well over 3,000 pitches. So she's very astute to understanding what works and what doesn't work when you're trying to, well, pitch your idea. So Stephanie teaches not only screenwriters but also business people how to better pitch their presentations uh, to anyone, basically a buyer. So she kind of breaks it up in her book like you are the seller and they are the buyers. And there's a different type of relationship and understanding how that works and how best to prepare for your pitch uh, will you know garner you the best chance for success. So she's been involved with um, developing Legally Blonde uh, 21. She's worked on Armageddon. She One of her first jobs, is actually you'll hear about it later, was uh, working on Titanic. But um, I think she had a lot of fun working on 21 because she got to sit on a pitch with uh, Kevin Spacey. And also they together worked for over two years on that particular project as she was the executive, point executive for MGM. Anyhow, so it, this is huge because you got to think like we're all filmmakers and we kind of know want to know like well, what's behind that closed door? What really goes on? If we had some inside information, could we be more successful? Could we you know, have a better, a better shot of getting our project out there? And so now we have access to something like Stephanie who will tell you, who will actually teach you. You can hire her to be your coach. I mean, you can get like one-on-one training from someone who's been in the trenches in the Hollywood system and can give you all the tricks and tips of how to succeed. But I was really curious about Stephanie because I actually heard about her through the online entrepreneurs and bloggers I follow. And she was on Chris Ducker's uh, podcast. Chris Ducker is a new business podcast, and he runs uh, Virtual Freedom. He just came up with this book called Virtual Freedom, and he's been on this book tour. And he's all about outsourcing or utilizing virtual assistants or assistants to um, better maximize your time efficiency as a business CEO for any type of solopreneur or any type of business you're going to get into. And I had a chance to meet Chris Ducker at the World Domination Summit uh, these past two weekends up here in Portland, Oregon. So when we got talking, he was mentioning to me that his most favorite podcast interview he's done so far has been with Stephanie. Um, he was really just jazzed about it. And then Stephanie was also on Jesse Eichmann's uh, Business of Film podcast. And she really gives some good information on that particular podcast. So I think it's really important that you actually listen to uh, Chris Ducker's interview of Stephanie Palmer, as well as Jesse Eichmann's Business of Film podcast interview of Stephanie, as well as I found a really great uh, uh, presentation she did at Google um, a couple about two years ago, and I'll also link that up into the show notes. So in the show notes, you'll get a link to Chris Ducker's podcast interview, as well as the business of film interview, as well as the uh, presentation she gave at uh, Google. So I really think it's really informative about who Stephanie is, what tremendous value she provides. And uh, so I didn't want to get too much into the stuff that she's already talked about. I really wanted to get into more about, about how she has transitioned from going from Hollywood to running her own online business. And that's sort of the whole goal of what Film Trooper is about, is to teach independent filmmakers that your film is only one part of it. It's really almost like an advertisement for you're selling something else and what you're selling it would be a larger scale at a larger price point, but you need to know some online entrepreneurial skills to do that. 
And Stephanie's actually doing that. And so that's kind of really why I was jazzed to talk to her about it. But you'll listen to this interview and you'll hear that it's mostly just a conversation. Just had a really great time uh, connecting and talking with her and feel really honored that she's on today's episode. So without further ado, here's Stephanie Palmer of Good in a Room here on the Film Trooper podcast. Hey, so here I am with Stephanie Palmer of Good in a Room, and I'm pretty pretty excited that she even came on this podcast. Um, I had a chance to listen to her the first time on Chris Ducker's podcast, and I had a chance to meet Chris just recently up here in uh, the World Domination Summit in Portland, Oregon. Um, but he was raving about his, like his most favorite podcast interview he's done so far has been with you, Stephanie, by the way. I don't know if you know Thank that. You. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Because he was, he was ecstatic to tell me like, oh my, you know, I can't do his a- accent, but he's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, you've got to talk to Stephanie. Oh my gosh. Amazing. So I was like, oh, in fact I did. So let's get a selfie. So that's how I get, you, I sent the selfie to you. Perfect. Perfect. Just let you know we were talking about you. <laughs> so for those of you who, um, people that don't know who you are, can you uh, give us a quick pitch of like who you are, basically, where did you start in the film industry and how did you end up starting a good in a room company in this book and, and, and a company that came off that book? So I'll sit back and let you tell us a quick story. <laughs> sure. Well, I started, um, I studied theater in college and right out of college, I started as an intern on Titanic was the first movie that I worked as an, as an unpaid intern and then worked my way up from getting coffee to being an assistant. And I was an assistant at Jerry Bruckheimer Films, So working on giant movies like Armageddon and Enemy of the State and Con Air. And then I moved to MGM where I... Uh, worked my way up through the executive ranks to become the story editor and then to become the director of creative affairs, where my job was one of the small team of executives who would read screenplays that were submitted, hear pitches, and decide which projects we wanted to produce. So which which screenplays we wanted to purchase and which movies we wanted to make. And then if um, I found a project, one of the great things about MGM that was unique at that time is that if you were the executive who found a project that then you got to supervise it all the way through um, pre-production, production, production, post-production, and see the movie, you know, through development until it was released. So that was a super experience that I would not trade for anything. Um, But then after being an executive for a number of years, I got frustrated with the kinds of movies that we were making. And as much as I, there were aspects that I loved of being an executive, There were other things that were very frustrating, and I really wanted to work for myself because both my parents and my brother all had their own businesses at the time, so I knew what that lifestyle was like, and it was certainly different from my lifestyle as an executive where you're on call 24 hours a day and working every single weekend and every holiday. So I uh, decided to go out on my own, and I, I really thought about what were the aspects of my executive job that I enjoyed the most, and that was absolutely working with writers. And so I thought, how could I make that be what I do on a daily basis? So I really designed the business around helping writers, particularly writers, but I certainly work with a lot of producers and directors, editors, other creative people um, to help them sell themselves and sell their work. And so that's why I started Good in a Room. And it's been a really wonderful journey so far. And you wrote the book, if I'm correct, um, 2008, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's been around for a while. And then you, um, when did the business part of it, the online business start? 
that really, although I've always had a website, it was extremely simple. Um, and it was only until in the last few years, really about two years ago, that I started focusing on um, having an online business. And that really grew out of um, having a son, as we were talking about, and and wanting to have more control over my time. And so I've really... Uh, started to learn more about blogging and having an online business. And there's still so much more that I have to learn, but that has been one of my focuses over the last couple of years. Oh, interesting. So I'm going to real quick backtrack to your first job in the industry being uh, working on Titanic. Um, I actually, my ex-girlfriend was the uh, stand-in for Kate Winslet. Oh, yeah? So I was down, because I was in San Diego at the time. I was working at PlayStation. I was uh, making movies for um, Sony PlayStation at the time. So I would drive down, visit her once in a while, um, you know, got to meet. On the set in Mexico? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I guess with her access, you know, you get to meet all, you know. I don't know. We were in a, we were whatever in a van with uh, Kate, you know, Kathy Bates, you know, going yep. back to their whole mm-hmm. hotel. But it's a strange thing because I think um, if you want to relay your interesting story, what your first job was to do <laughs> on the job, because I I have something to add to that after you're done. <laughs> well, my first job, I mean, I did many interesting things, but of course, I was fresh out of college and just really desperately wanted to do a great job and impress people because I knew, I mean, it was such a great opportunity to get to work on this giant, huge movie. Um, and so I was asked to do all sorts of things. But one of the things that I was asked to do was to drive boxes of something that I was not to look at um, over the Mexican border. And partially, I'm sure they chose me because I looked so innocent. And I frankly was and still kind of am. um, But that I didn't get caught driving whatever illegal material um, over the Mexican border. And so that was one of my many jobs. (laughs) <laughs> well, I can tell you what was in those boxes because I was on the receiver. Okay. Line. No, I'm okay. just kidding. <laughs> Actually, it's just a vortex down there. I remember going down there and it was like this weird sort of like debaucherous vortex. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, needless, needless to say, like when that whole stint ended, it was like watching these people sort of decompress. Like there was – because there were so many extras and so many – other additional people that were literally living down there in Mexico because they had to be on call, yes, th- thrown absolutely. into the the tanks and mm-hmm. the the amount of uh, you know sicknesses and ear infections and it's just crazy. But it was uh, it was amazing. To, I, I wonder if we actually probably bumped into each other because I was in like different yeah. offices all the time. So <laughs> so here's the thing I know that everybody after they heard sort of your quick resume would be like, oh my gosh, okay, you're, so you're teaching writers, you know, how to be good in a room. Um, one of the things you teach in your book, which is a fantastic book, which, and your site. So two things that people have to do. One, buy your book. Two, sign up for your emails because your emails are loaded with such valuable content and, and all that, and all that type of stuff. And one of the things you talk about are the five stages of the pitch. Can you kind of run over Run over. I don't think that's a word. <laughs> Can you actually just go over what those five stages of the pitch are? Sure. Well, when I was an executive, I heard more than 3,000 pitches and sat in more than 3,000 pitch meetings, way more than that probably, if I really counted. Um, but I was really fascinated by wh- why are some people really successful in selling projects? And it wasn't just based on one particular genre, like, for example, oh, we're just buying comedies right now or just dramas. It really was um, across all genres and across all different types of people pitching I was paying attention to why are some people really hitting it and other people are just flopping no matter what kind of project they're pitching. So 
I paid attention and basically analyzed that there were five stages of any successful pitch meeting. And that, uh, just like a screenplay, almost all screenplays have three acts. Pitch meetings go through five stages. And so the first stage is really that rapport building stage where you're getting to know the person, you're talking about something that's not specifically directly related to your project, and it's just a chance for people to say, who are you, do I like you, can I you know, can we have a conversation? Just getting a sense of who you are. Then the second stage is information gathering where you're asking some questions. The third stage is the pitch. That's the part where you actually describe what your project is about. Then the fourth stage is Q&A, question and answer. And this is the place where the most important part of the pitch meeting, this is where almost all sales are made. So the executive knows that you've come in prepared with how you're going to describe the project, you know, your specific pitch, but they want to see how you handle question and answer. And then the fifth stage is just the close. And ideally, if everything has gone well ahead of time, the close is very easy. And you mentioned too, um, like every pitch, you should have like one objective that you're going for. And that kind of sets it up. Um, Can you kind of elaborate a little bit more about that? Sure. So often people go into a meeting and they have so many different goals. Like, oh, I hope that I can sell this project and I hope they'll also recommend an agent to me. And I hope maybe we'll actually get to be great friends with this executive. um, And I hope that they'll consider me for another writing assignment. And it's like, well, once you have all of those goals, it's going to be really hard for any of them to be achieved. But it's much easier to keep it simple and say, well, which one of these can I achieve in this specific meeting, knowing that if a relationship goes well, you're going to have multiple meetings and it can develop. So what's the one thing, if only if you could only accomplish one thing in that meeting, is it is it just that you want to get a second meeting, which is a perfectly reasonable, good goal for an initial meeting. It's right. just, I want it to go well enough that they say, hey, when you have your next project, bring it in. Or I have an idea for you. Let's talk about it. Can we set up another meeting for you to come back and meet my boss? Yeah. I mean, those would be totally successful outcomes. So basically, um, it just makes sure that you're not a douche, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I think it's, I think it's kind of um, thinking about it like dating that so often, you know, if you go on a first date and you're like, I'm going to marry this person and have children with them, it's going to kind of kill the vibe of that first date. <laughs> that so often that same dynamic can happen because it's so hard to get a meeting with a decision maker and people think this is my one chance to meet with this executive. So I've got to put everything in there yeah. um, and that can kill that vibe too. Yeah, I had I had an experience like that um, pitching a, a movie years ago. Um, was able to get you know in front of a very prominent producer, you know, well mm-hmm. known, well respected, yep. and everything led up to there where I felt like I built everything up. But um, I wish I had all this information <laughs> prior, of course, but going into it, and not that it was a, it was ruined. Honestly, I was I realized all I was doing I was selling my shoe design to a hat maker. Because, uh-huh. I mean, basically, I had a comedy. Yep. He never made a comedy in his life, even though everybody told me that that's what his – he had, like, a special deal with a um, a company that was a distribution company, and that they were uh-huh. looking for a comedy. And so they were like, yeah, this is it, man. This is it. This is it. And we get there. And the the problem was he was the the final say. I mean, his name on top of everything else. Yes. And if you look at his body of work, it was uh, – he never made a comedy in this in this type of uh, style ever. So it's one of those like, oh, okay, was you know, 
It was good exercise. Maybe I went a little over the top, but I could have totally used a lot of everything that you mentioned here, the five stages of a pitch meeting, just to make it a little you know, smoother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now it's interesting because um, doing these podcast interviews, you know, most of the time I just, you know, get on and I just have like a conversation. Mm-hmm. And it, but then I, the more I studied up on everything that you were teaching and everything that you, you're about with good in a room, I got a little nervous because like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. Now I have to feel like I have to apply these these stages even in this podcast interview. Oh, goodness. I am not judging at all <laughs> no, no. in that way, I promise. <laughs> so, so here's the funny part. So I'm like, okay, number one, I knew about rapport. So we started off and I want, you know, I I did my homework a little bit, kind of yes. try to figure out like, hey, where you are you living beautifully. now? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so where do you live? And, and, and we're just trying to connect on a human level like you would if you're at a, at a cocktail party or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And then – Allowed you to, yeah, give your pitch like real quick what your story was and listen. And then, then my next pitch, I guess the next stage would be I have to do the pitch. Now here's the fun part. Uh, I've heard you say this many times before, but I love for the listeners to hear it again. What is the one most important thing that you should have in your pitch? And this is specifically for filmmakers or, uh, you know, screenwriters. Um, so now that we're on the third stage of the pitch. <laughs> I love this very meta. It's great. (laughs) You're doing beautifully. (laughs) Um, If you only learn one thing, it is in a pitch, especially a pitch about a movie or a TV show, a creative pitch, it is to lead with genre. It is so easy to assume as the creator of this project that the person listening who's hearing your idea for the first time will automatically assume that your project is, you know, if it's a comedy, they're going to automatically get that it's a comedy or if it's a drama or if it's a thriller. But that is the most forgotten element that can easily send people down the wrong path. And so if you do nothing else, I literally mean lead with genre. Like, for example, my project is a comedy about blah, 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 blah. Or the title of my project is, and it's an action thriller about da, 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 da. Because that specific word is uh, gives so much information for the listener, and that's sort of what what your entire idea hangs off of, the clarity of what genre your project fits in. Perfect. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've, I've read a lot of different blogs, and they give like a little examples of um, – you know, here's how to write the, the best log line or your get your synopsis ready or how to get ready for a pitch and so on. And I'm surprised even how, how many countless blogs and even books I've read, I don't see that as like the most important. And it's really fascinating because you're like, well, I've been on the other end listening to well over 3,000 pitches and I can say that's really, really helpful. So thank you so much for sharing that. So um, the next part is – I you know I, I definitely want people to check out your interview with um, that Chris Ducker did of of yourself because he does a great job of going over on your web on your website um, goodinaroom.com that you have on your tagline your right underneath it which is network pitch sell and I don't want to, you don't have to go over everything you've done with Chris but if you could could you just give us like a teaser or a a trailer <laughs> of what that necessary means when somebody comes to your site or and becomes part of your community and signs up for your emails, what network pitch sell means to you? 
Well, for me, networking is a crucial component of succeeding in Hollywood. And it's something that particularly writers often cringe at the thought, um, because most writers didn't you know, decide to become writers because they wanted to be out there pitching and selling themselves and meeting strangers and, you know, being a good salesperson. They've just, they want to be a writer because they're good at conveying their work in writing, often home alone by themselves. And so it's really helping even introverts network effectively because that is, other than having the, the number one most important thing to succeed is to have the talent to be able to deliver in whatever your creative craft is. But the second most important skill is to be able to network and be good in a room. And so that's really the area that I focus on. Um, then pitching is definitely how you talk about yourself and your work in a clear, compelling way. And then selling is the sort of technical aspects of how ideas are sold, how projects are purchased, who are the right buyers for your project, who is the right agent for you. Um, those sort of business aspects are another um, portion of the material that I cover and that I help my clients with. Oh, perfect. That's, that's perfect. So here's the interesting thing. So we kind of reached sort of the halfway mark. Um, and I'm glad we got over like all these sort of the main core of what, you know, Stephanie Palmer is all about in terms of good in room. Now this is second half is for me selfishly. Now it's like just conversation because I really, Great. Would love, I would really love to know, well, what are your thoughts about the future of Hollywood? Um, um, two, cause there's two things you've worked in the, definitely in the Hollywood system, uh, in the, the big studio system. And then there's a whole other sub world of the independent film world. Um, but I would love to see, just kind of get your take on what you think the future is um, with with all the changes that have happened. Well, I think there's huge growth that can still happen in the indie film world, um, whereas the studio system is shrinking in some way, but that the indie film world, there's so much more potential for growth, especially globally. So I think it's really exciting. I think, um, I know I'm not the first person to point out how access is so much more, I mean, it's, you say it in your podcast and on your site of how much more possible it, and achievable it is for an individual to be able to create a film, you know, for a reasonable budget that just has not existed in the past. And the amount of money necessary to do a quality production just keeps getting lower and lower. I think that's hugely exciting. Um, and I think that, the indie film world is what is available to the vast majority of creative people, of filmmakers. And so I think it's an amazing place to focus because though there will always be, I think, the studio system, it's hard to penetrate. There's only a small portion of people who are involved in those projects. But the best way to get considered or to break in to the studio film world is to create your own independent film. So I think it's totally where it's at. Oh, nice. Hold on for one second. My microphone is dropping. I'm going to make a bunch of noise sure. as I switch yeah, this boom ahead. mic. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> as we're talking, I'm like, why is this thing's going down lower and lower and lower? It's sagging. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I, I was hunched over. And I'm like, this, <laughs> well, you don't, <laughs> well, you don't see. I'm like, like oh, gosh. <laughs> why am I crunched over now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, now here's what's fascinating about it. Um, you've been in the world of film at the highest levels, and now you have branched out on your own and you are making a living for a few years and, and doing it very well, um, you know, giving value to a large um, audience of not just Hollywood screenwriters, but also business people in general. 
uh, applying the techniques and practices that you've been teaching in Good in a Room uh, to, like I said, to business people. And that's what's great about your book because it doesn't, it doesn't just go into about just filmmakers and so on. Um, I want to know, when did you kind of have the light bulb go off where you made the connect like, wait a minute, these ideas are could be used in a much broader audience outside of just filmmakers but also business people? Well, I knew that a lot of the techniques were very similar um, just because I had done some public speaking and I'd spoken at the National Speakers Association and a lot of people were saying, oh, this, you know, it's so similar. But I really, I mean, frankly, the only corporate jobs that I've ever had have been in Hollywood. I've never worked in it for a real company, um, you know, out in the real world other than in Hollywood. And so I was not, I felt like, well, how can I really know that these, I know that these techniques work in Hollywood because I've seen it and I've done it and I've proven it over and over, but I really don't have evidence that they work outside. Um, and so I had an agent approached me about writing a book after he heard me interviewed on national public radio. And I thought, well, this is an amazing opportunity that I know doesn't happen every day. And he suggested, he said, I don't care. Even if you don't feel like you've tested these theories, you should write a proposal as if you have, and then after we sell it, you can go out and test your theories and make sure they really work. And I thought that was pretty ballsy, but I said, okay, I'm on board for that. Let's see if we can do it. And that's what happened. Oh my gosh. And I, you know what? I, I can't wait to people get a chance to see this, um, the talk you gave at Google, because like you're opening um, like first 10 minutes talking about how you went to the New York for the book publisher and you were there and, and you were, you know, the irony of I'm selling like um, a book about being good in a room and being pitching and then you were throwing a curveball. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit about like your one of your first meetings, like pitching a book idea, which I thought was fascinating. Well, I you would think that I would be totally prepared to pitch a book um, that's called Good in a Room and be really successful at pitching. But I was shocked. Actually, it's funny. I can't remember exactly what I shared in the Google Talk now, but I imagine that it was um, that when I went to the first publisher meeting with this big agent and this major, major publisher, that I came into the room and was sitting on the couch and in came the editors to you know, interview me basically that I just totally froze and I couldn't, I, it was just so shocking to me that I was the, the writer sitting on the couch instead of the executive sitting behind the desk asking the questions. And I really was pretty terrible in the room. I mean, by the end I had kind of gotten it together and wasn't totally mortified, but it was not my best meeting. And so I was, uh, went home that night and was just so embarrassed and finally got my act together and followed my own advice. And then the following meetings, the next few days were terrific. And <laughs> it all worked out, but um, it was embarrassing. What is that about um, just people in general of it's, it's almost easier to give advice from a, you know, 3000 view, you know, whatever. Oh, so view. much easier to help someone else. Yes. Than yourself. Cause and you're it, so close to it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to stop and you got to go, okay, what would, you know, what would Stephanie say? <laughs> Whatever it might be. Like, this is what you would, like, if you could separate yourself, this is, you know, because I have this thing too, as I'm, you know, trying to um, expand Film Trooper mm -hmm. and I had to stop and my wife is very good because um, her supportiveness is like just straightforward bluntness. Like, you need to stop doing this. You need to do this. You need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's one of the hard things about having an online business is there are so many things you can do. 
that it's really hard to not be overwhelmed. Oh, gosh. And here's the interesting thing. You were talking about Hollywood. And I think what it is about Film Trooper is, yeah, the, the tagline is helping filmmakers become entrepreneurs because we talked about um, the barrier to entry in terms of production has been has been, that's not a barrier anymore because the digital tools mm-hmm. make it so easy to anybody could do it uh, mm-hmm. like myself. Um, and then the distribution arm of the last, the past last past year actually has been decimated because anybody can put anything up online, any digital good, a book, you know, music mm-hmm. movies and sell it directly to people all over the world instantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the last barrier is marketing um, being, you know, being heard above all the noise and stuff like that. So that's going to be interesting. And I don't know whether or not the future of film distribution for independence is going to change from a distribution type company versus to like all in house, like marketing company. You know, I don't know. Mm, yeah, I don't either. Mm-hmm. Cause I have an interesting thing. Like, um, when I was trying to get my film made years ago in the, you know, in the old sort of the imploding system when the the economy is crashing, everything was built around like the foreign pre-sales. So, you Mm -hmm. know, you go to AFM, the American film market, or Mm -hmm. that market is the same market if you go to Cannes film market or the Singapore film market. It's the Mm -hmm. same people. They all just go there. So, um, you know this. I'm just uh, – No, I'm no, assuming, yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm assuming the people that don't know this, like this is what I'm <laughs> – my wink, wink to you, to them is like <laughs> this is how it works. <laughs> so it's fascinating because everything is based off like the foreign pre-sales. Mm-hmm. But I read an article that may be very interesting about once Netflix invades more of a global market, what happens to the pre-sales? You know, I don't know. It's It's like there's – once those like pre-built markets or pre uh, whatever it is that they're counting on, I wonder if that's going to implode the um, old way of independent filmmaking. You know, so I sure the- think so. Ultimately, who knows when? But yeah. I sure think it would. Mm-hmm. So, so then it's fascinating because you, I don't know, when did you um, learn about Pat Flynn and Chris Ducker, um, and in attending their San Diego um, one day uh, workshop event? I can't remember. I mean, in the last two years, I had started um, reading Pat Flynn, I think, when I had various questions about what does this mean and how do I do that? And he has such an incredible um, side of resources written for the layperson like myself, who is not a technical whiz, um, to figure some of these things out, like what is keyword research or whatever the topic was? Right. Um, how do I use WordPress? Um, and then they had their first one-day business breakthrough, and I just thought, I could really benefit from this because I've never, I'd never attended a online. um, I mean, I know it's a huge business um, and there are tons of people who make their living this way, but I had never attended a workshop or a class um, in anything like this. And so I um, went to it. It was absolutely terrific. It was hilarious because I thought my website, which was very simple and plain, um, was fine and it was ripped to shreds and that was just what I needed. (laughs) Um, And so it, um, and it was such a valuable experience for me to see all these other people who have successful online businesses, just how they focus them and what they do. I mean, just that there is this huge world available that I didn't even know because, I mean, I never even took a marketing class or I don't have an MBA or any of these things that a lot of other people do. Um, And so I've really had to 
take a lot of classes and learn and I'm still learning. Um, but it was terrific. And um, from there, I've um, kept in touch with both of them and, and um, learned a lot from them. And they've been terrific. Oh, man, it's amazing. Uh, once someone enters the world of like opening themselves up to the online entrepreneurs or bloggers or marketers, um, there's there definitely you can see the difference where you were mentioning like Hollywood, the way the structure is set up is that, you know, only a very few amount of people get to play in that playground right now. Mm-hmm. And Correct. so what happens is like the old ways of doing things from film school on over 100 years of, you know, an industry kind of growing into its own, um, it creates this sort of scarcity mindset because we're all sort of um, conditioned to think like you got to get here to get there and, you know, and maybe you'll be that 1% that gets that magic ticket because every t- – that's what we live off of, all these uh, blogs and stuff and articles. It's like we still refer to one or two hits that happened in, over the last few years and that's mm-hmm. what we refer to as like, well, this might be like one of those movies. This might be – like I had um, Oren Pelly on from Paranormal mm-hmm. Activity, and he and mm-hmm. I worked together at Sony. And so we, I had this conversation with him about like, wait, wait, let's take me, you know, step by step. And you could see so many unusual things that had to happen to make it happen. And you realize, yes. like, I was living vicariously through him, like, oh, my God, what is that like? Like, your whole <laughs> life just changed, like, one day, you know? And it was fa- it was fascinating. Um, but when you go into the online world, the I mean, the business world and the blogger world, um, there's this wonderful world of abundance. Like you can go to Chris Ducker and learn a lot of the same things as you do if you go to uh, Pat Flynn. But mm-hmm. they they're, they work in tandem together, and they never feel like there's no competition. Each person is always you know teaching each other, and it's amazing because it's like this weight lifted off your shoulders. And there's so much so much optimism and positivity going on in that world where, as you know, filmmakers you know can be very of all types, doesn't matter what part of the um, uh, process you are in filmmaking, could be very cynical and yes. because they have that scarcity mindset. And yes. S- and so I'm trying to hopefully open up the minds like we got to let that go because guess what? We actually have our artists. Like you said, you work with a lot of artists. And that's what I want to ask you because the difference between somebody creating art or something out of their mind or getting inspired because they just, they had this itch to just, you know, scratch to produce something versus the online business world, which is they extract the information from an audience or customer base, figure out what that problem is, and then try to solve that problem. So, uh, you know, they're, both disciplines are coming at a different place. One's coming up from just like this burning desire to be expressive and push it out to the world mm-hmm. where the other one is extracting, pulling the information and then um, being of service to, to their audience or their world. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were because as you're seeing both, you've, you know, you're seeing both spectrums of in your past career. Hmm. Well, I think um, one thing that I've seen, because even though I've worked exclusively on the really high-end, big-budget studio films, now that I have my own business, many of my clients are independent filmmakers. And I think that the people who have been really successful are those filmmakers who pay attention to marketing and pay attention to how are we going to figure out how to um, 
get money, you know, find funding and also find an audience basically from the beginning of the process, not that they create the movie and then think, ooh, now how are we going to find an audience? But that that's a component of their strategy from the beginning. Ah, so yeah, good. um, Thank you for pointing that out. Like seeing, you know, the the ones you're working with. Um, Let me ask you, what is your thoughts about um, why filmmakers should become entrepreneurs? I mean, I mean, you kind of touched upon that, but if you want to elaborate a little bit more about what you're seeing, uh, you know, as you've applied uh, your skill sets in both worlds. Well, I think filmmakers are, I mean, the successful ones absolutely are entrepreneurs in that they are the ones creating and generating. They're deciding which projects they're going to work on. They are focused on it. They are small business owners in a way. I mean, the vast majority are self-employed and have to deal with all of the challenges of um, not consistent income and self-employment taxes, you know, all of those things of um, being self-employed, but that also they are the engine that runs their own company. And that's a very different thing than going to a job and having someone tell you, here's what we're going to do today. Do this list of five things and then you can go home. It's just a totally different mindset. Um, And so I think that the filmmakers who educate themselves on your site and other places as far as learning about marketing, distribution, um, how to create a successful pitch so that investors will want to invest with them rather than another project or someone else. I think those are hugely valuable skills. Um, But I think it's terrific that these uh, resources are available online and that you don't have to go to um, traditional film school, even though that's great for many people, but it really isn't required. No, no. And a lot of these things, even at the best film schools, aren't really taught. Um, I mean, you can learn great things at film school, but the actual how do I get a movie made? How do I build my career so that I get paid more as my projects? You know, how can I leverage what I've done previously to make a better deal? All of those things come from practice. Yeah, definitely. I was so I was at the um, World Domination Summit Uh here two weeks, and that that was like a vortex of like just being high of like conquering the world, you know? Yes. So <laughs> and it's the like, enthusiasm of being surrounded by all these other entrepreneurs. Yeah. And they're so positive yeah. and like, you know, so I had this, an interesting story. So this is how I got to know, um, Chris Ducker. I had uh-huh. actually uh, tried to apply for his position on fizzle.co with, um, the guys, um, corporate bar. Uh-huh. I know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're really mm-hmm. funny and just energetic, but you know, very successful. And so they had this post that said, Hey, we're looking for somebody to um, run our member success, success specialist or whatever, their, their membership uh-huh. part of it. So, But I saw that the post, because what happened was I was listening to Chris Ducker's podcast and he was interviewing Caleb Wojcik yep. and they were talking about Fizzle. And then I finally checked out Fizzle and I realized I saw this post, but it was like almost like a month too late. So I'm like, ah, oh, they probably hired somebody. So it was on a Thursday. So then I spent that weekend putting together this ridiculous, like my Hail Mary, like maybe I'll get a shot. You know, yeah. so I put together, I bought a URL that said, I want to work for fizzle.co, put together this <laughs> ridiculous <smart>. video, <laughs> I put together this ridiculous video where Good I present you. myself and then it cuts to like referring to, this is how I found out at Chris Tucker's podcast. And it cuts to his little flash animation I kind of put together of Chris Tucker um, as um, uh, um, Patrick Stewart playing um, Professor <laughs> X and he's in a little wheelchair and he's, he's, he's so he's talking you know the the audio from the podcast and then Caleb 
um, is the, this gigantic giant from the Twin Peaks series. So there's two ba- <laughs> two bald guys talking to each other, but Caleb is so tall. So I just yeah. made him exaggerate tall. So as they're talking, and then I have like uh, Pat Flynn come in, and he doesn't say anything. There's a little character on the bottom of the screen like walking in, and he turns around, and he's got this little backpack that says Filipino VA, and he walks off. <laughs> and so it was like it was like really ridiculous. Like I, I mean. Over the top, but look at you. I love it. So, I mean, so needless to say, that was. (laughs) Thanks. So, needless to say, that, uh, you know, I I didn't get the the position because I I turned in the. um, I just sent them the link. I said, I wrote them an email and I said, everything you need to find about what you're asking for, my resume, my answers to your questions. And by the way, you didn't ask for it, but here's a video. I just sent them a link. So, to show that I had commitment, you know, I spent money, a few bucks to get a secure URL. I sent them that Monday morning. Two hours later, they all wrote back just like ecstatic, like, oh, my God, this thing's hilarious. Unfortunately, we just hired somebody last Thursday. (laughs) But it got back to Chris Ducker, and he said, hey, because if the Fizzle guys aren't using you, let's meet up in World Domination Summit because I have something to talk to you about. So that's – I just kept in touch with them. Perfect. And so when I met up with them, um, I just happened to, you know, we had other business stuff to talk about. So that's how we got the selfie. But at the same time, um, he was there with another entrepreneur who uh, invited me to this party. But I kind of knew overhearing who they're talking about what party it was going to be. It was like a party of like all like your top online entrepreneurs. Uh-huh. You had John Lee Dumas. You had Pat Flynn. You had, uh, you know, Chris Tucker would be there. The Fizzle guys would be there. I mean um, – Natalie Sisson, um, yep. Jamie mm-hmm. Tardy, all of them. So I was like, okay, I got to – here's another thing. Trying to apply everything you you taught about mm-hmm. building rapport and networking. And you talked about networking VIP. Let's – real quick, I know we have like a, little bit, a few minutes here. Can you tell me – tell us a little bit more about networking uh, VIPs in your process? And then I'll, t- I'll show you my story of how I sort of apply what your teachings were. <laughs> sure. Well, to me um, – the more that you can really customize what you are, um, if you're networking to a VIP, the more that you have done your research ahead of time, the more you can make sure that your conversation is applicable and interesting and that you're continuing to shine the light back on that VIP. So I, I call it 100% outward focus. Like if you're meeting someone for the first time, especially if it's someone that you admire or it makes you a little nervous, you want to make sure that you you know, give, make a good impression, it can be very easy to just start talking a mile a minute or saying silly things just out of nervousness, totally normal. Um, but I like to encourage you to have 100% outward focus where you're really just totally listening really carefully to what the other person is saying, because in our world now, it is so common to not be focusing on the other person, to have just be focusing on our own inner monologue of, ooh, do I have spinach in my teeth? What am I going to say next? What can I do? Blah, blah, blah. And you're not really listening. So it really stands out when you are the kind of person who can be there in their presence and just really pay attention and react in the moment. Yeah, they definitely go, uh, you know, they also talk about, you know, giving Look at me pausing. Hold on. I'm going to cut this out as I get my thoughts together. (laughs) They talk about looking to add value to somebody that you want to connect with and not be somebody who's looking to take. Take, take, take. Exactly. Stop, take, take, take and give, give, give. Because the more you give. Especially at the beginning. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So here I was at this 
opportunity to go to this party that I knew that was part of the uh, not part of the main conference. Like this mm-hmm. is like uh, away from the main event, and it was going to be exclusive because there's only so many people could fit up on top of this rooftop in Portland. So I got the address. I knew what time it was going to start, it was six o'clock. So I made sure to be like one of the first people there because I knew yep. a lot of people just show up late. But the main also. I knew that I needed to come gifts bearing, you know. Yes, nice. <laughs> so I stopped by in Portland. There's two donut places. Uh, the the famous one is Voodoo Donuts. Everybody, yes, that's I've more heard of, a of the Voodoo. Thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, locally, that's sort of like a, more of a tourist attraction uh-huh, type uh-huh. thing. Yeah. Because uh, there's mm-hmm. another donut place called Blue Star Donuts, which is this oh like gourmet type donuts, delicious. So I got a dozen of those uh, Blue Star Donuts. Headed over to the party. You know, there, you know, John Lee Dumas was and uh, a bunch of other people, just a few guys, you know, and mm-hmm. I just walk in and I, me- I meet the uh, the guy uh, who I met, who's friends of Chris Stuckers. His name is Greg Hickman. He runs uh, mobilemix.com. Uh-huh. And he he was mm-hmm. one of the speakers at Chris Stuckers' um, you know, tropical event yep. he had. Mm-hmm. So I went in, I said, hey guys, you know, I'm so-and-so. Here's the, and I said hi to Greg and they're like, oh my God, look at these donuts. And I explained to him the difference between Voodoo Donuts and Blue Star Donuts. So right off the bat, you're, you're in you're good in. places. And then, Beautiful. then there's a whole situation where all these people, like they had to um, escort everybody from this, this, this Airbnb they were renting out because the actual rooftop had, to, you had to go through like this elevator and stuff like that. So it wasn't like direct, ac- direct uh-huh. access. So I offered, like, I'll stay up in front, you know, make sure everybody knows what to do as they, they were escorting the first half of the group up. So because I was at the front, I got to meet everybody that was coming through, you know. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> and then at the same time, I finally met the Fizzle guys in person because they, they had seen my video. So then they when they walked in, they're so like, So then oh. they remembered. Nice. Yeah. So they're like, oh, hey, you're that guy. So then you're at the party. Then you're just there and you're just mingling. And it was fascinating because I met so many, so many smart people. And so many, you know, just listening and engaging. And uh, it happened to be so that I knew that Chris Ducker the following night was having a, an event for his book, a Virtual uh-huh. Freedom, because he's mm-hmm. just killing it. He's like in this crazy book tour. You know, it's not going to end until like October. I know. <laughs> it's it, amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I happened to get a chance to meet the uh, the company uh, at winningedits.com, um, Matt and Mindy, who were running sort of the event for him, you know. Uh-huh. So I was able to get their information. So that day, I know I didn't have a ticket to the event. So I was like, okay. So I just texted uh, Matt. I said, hey, I look great meeting you last night. Hope to meet you again tonight. I know Chris is having his event. I know it's a sold out event, um, but I'm here locally. If you need any help, let me know. And they're like, oh my gosh, yes, we need help. <laughs> so, Beautiful. Look at you. So, Textbook. Nice. So there I was applying what you're teaching in terms of networking VIP. I'm offering value to those uh, who I value that I would love to get to know better, um, but just be genuine about it. So I showed up and they needed help at the front door because uh, Mindy was needed to run around taking photographs. And I, re- I couldn't believe that this whole event was going to be put on by two people. Yes. So I was like, oh my, they definitely needed help. So what the side effects, the benefits were, because I was at the front door, I got to see all the all these people coming through. I get to meet everybody, check them in, you know. So, you know, like I got my face seen, and I got I got to see everybody, you know, that came through, and just was there, just being supported all, all the way through. And you got to event, and you got to go there, and you really got to make a great impression on these two VIPs. Yes, and that led to 
everything else that happened over the weekend. And I was one of those things like, oh my gosh. So then my job was to appropriately follow up. And you have a great thing in your book about the the better ways to follow up. And I'll let people buy the book and read it. But, you know, I'm not going to give away the whole farm in this interview. So <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but it was uh, applying your techniques definitely work. If you're a place if you're in a place being genuine and you're definitely there to try to offer value and, you know, because um, it, it definitely works and, and, and you're not a taker. And that, that was huge, huge. And I can't, I can't, I came away from the event just going, this is crazy. So, but I was, ec- I was ecstatic because I did have this one thing I was asking Pat Flynn about. I said, at what point you guys made the decision? Like, okay, I have, I started a, a online business and I was focusing on, this setup, this is my audience. Like for my film troopers is independent filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And for yourself, Good in Room is, you know, writers and independent filmmakers. But we also see that the, I guess the bigger pie is the world of business in general, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. cause everybody that's killing it online. Cause so I'm at this party and I'm looking around going, Oh, so that guy makes 200,000 a month on his blog. That guy makes 100,000 a month on his blog. That's a 50,000. Right. Like these it's just mind-blowing, you know? And it's like this is crazy, but they're all servicing a larger um uh, audience base, which is the business world. And Correct. so I don't know, mm-hmm. like I love when I was reading your book like, "Oh my gosh, this is so awesome she's doing it." Like I'm I'm like behind the scenes like a uh, cheerleader just saying, "Oh my gosh, this is so cool. She took her knowledge from Hollywood. She said, "I'm switching over to be my own online, online business, but I'm also expanding this um this leverage I have out to the business world and I'm going to help uh, help help that group out there." And, you know, cuz I'm just I'm just excited cuz I was like, I want to I kind of needed like a mentor to look to like, well, how, where do I take a film trooper? (laughs) Well, you totally can. It's so funny. If you're, especially if you're interested in doing public speaking, which you're a wonderful speaker. So I would, I would definitely consider that because I think that if personally, I, once I had my son, I really didn't want to be on the speaker circuit as much as that would be very lucrative, it would be a great way to continue expanding into the business world because I did do that um, and had a number of major clients like Google and Merrill Lynch. And um, I mean, I spoke at a lot of major, for a lot of major companies. And that's, I mean, the, the amount of money to be made in that business is way more than anything in the filmmaker world, um, for sure. But personally, I like, I prefer working with filmmakers and I, for this phase of life, didn't want to be on the road each week, um, traveling to different places and staying in hotels and not being with my son. And so I made the choice that even though, you know, my bank account may not be as gigantic as it could be in other things, for me, that's not what's the most important. I want to be working with people that I care about and doing honest, good work and and being able to have the time flexibility to be with my family. And that's those are the priorities that I've chosen um, at this phase. But there could be another time where... I want to get back to traveling. And so then I may branch back out into doing more business. But that is absolutely a huge market that is waiting to be tapped. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's what, one of the last questions I want to ask you. Like, what is your vision for Good in Room that you're willing to share? Or like, what, sure, sure. what do you want to help? Uh, I'm an open book. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I am really excited because I am continuing. I have one class that's an online um, class that's how to be a professional writer in Hollywood that really wor- 
talks through and explains how people break in both to TV and to film and why they're very different. So for that person who wants to get paid, who wants to be in the Writers Guild, it explains exactly how to do it. And there's a lot of misinformation out there um, that is unfortunate and frustrating. And so this is my way of correcting and actually using statistics and specific examples of how people have used these techniques to get hired and build careers. Um, And so that's been really exciting. But I have a bunch of other um, classes in the works. My next one will be about finding the right agent. Um, And so I'm doing, I'm working hard to create content that will answer people's questions in a way that they can access it from anywhere in the world so that they don't have to be in Los Angeles um, and that they can access this information for a reasonable price and and get the legit real information, not fluff and, you know, a lot of what else is out there. Oh, I'm just, I'm ecstatic. I love what you've done. um, Everything just like writing the book, um, setting up your business online um, selling these particular products because you, what you're doing is you're solving a problem and I'm sure you've been able to extract those problems because you're very good in your email, um, auto response series of like asking those questions and, you know, and I'm out there, I have a small audience, but I'm trying, I'm trying to extract as much information. Like, well, how can I help you every, every week? Like, how can I help you? You know, <laughs> like, cause I'm trying to figure out like, am I on the right path here? Cause I really, mm-hmm. cause my wife is always like, well, has anybody done this, what you're doing? I go, well, not. Well, kind of, not really. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but that's okay. I think, I mean, I love your tagline. As long as you're you're continuing to get information. And I'm, I, I'm so glad that you admire what I have done. And I am so flattered. And I feel like I still have so much to learn. So I may just be a little bit ahead. But we both, you know, we're on this journey to keep learning and trying different things and experimenting. And Oh, yeah. I, I do not in any way have all the answers, but I continue <laughs> experimenting and trying and learning. Well, I'm a fan for sure. So, well, thanks. Um, and we can wrap it up because I'm about to hit the hour mark here. And I, I can't thank you enough for spending so much time just uh, rapping with me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Well, I think you're doing a fabulous job. And just, I mean, I'm thrilled that you have used the techniques and and proven that that worked because I'm sure there were hundreds, if not, I don't know how many people went to the World Domination Summit. Oh, yeah, hundreds. it was thousands, well, thousands, hundreds? right? So there were thousands, but it was it, it say there were a thousand, over a thousand people. people. Yeah. Okay, and out of that thousand people, I bet a good portion of those would have liked to have gone to Chris Ducker's event, but couldn't afford it, didn't get in, it was sold out, they weren't invited, blah blah blah, whatever. But you figured out a way, and anyone else there could have used that same technique, but you actually went ahead and did it. And, and made such a great impression, reconnected with these people, met people multiple times. So they got to see your face like Caleb and the other fizzle guys and Chris Ducker. He definitely knows who you are. And remember, that's really impressive. Yeah. Super impressive. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, so for those and you could are... have been in your hotel room or, you know, at home just being like, well, I miss everyone's having this at this big event networking. But here I am at home. But yeah. you did it, you know, <laughs> Here's the funny part about it. I actually uh, applied to be a volunteer for Chris Gilgaboo's The World Domination Summit. I figured uh-huh. that I'm local. I set aside all this time that I was going to be available for the event. And then like a month earlier, he's they're like, no, we've all filled up. We don't need your help. 
and it was not like that mean, but it was more yeah. like we don't need it, we're we're cool. But if you want to still experience the uh, the summit, we have these um, offshoot um, one-offs that are not part of the main conference. Because I wasn't able to get the conference pass because it sold out so quickly. Because I didn't uh-huh. I didn't think I was going to need it because I thought I was going to be a volunteer. So then I was like, I didn't get to be a volunteer, and I'm like, I didn't get the ticket. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> It's right, like, here I am. This is the thing I want to go to. I go right. right down the street, you know. <laughs> so, but they had these wonderful uh, one-offs um, that they, ne- they didn't have in the previous uh, conventions or, or conferences. So I was able to go, and well, even more impressive, frankly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. really? <clears throat> Here's something for you, just because you have worked with Pat Flynn. Because Pat Flynn is wonderful. If anybody who doesn't know Pat Flynn, if you get a chance, listen to his podcast. Every beginning of every podcast, he he was able to throw a little fact about himself, a personal fact about mm-hmm. things he liked. Um, he's a huge fan of Back to the Future. But he also, one of his podcasts, he mentioned that he had a crush on Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the Bell, uh, Tiffany Amber <laughs> Thiessen. And, who, you know, what guy at our age didn't? So right. It was... Women, too. I mean, I think she's beautiful, right? <laughs> so I knew that Chris Ducker and Pat Flynn and uh, Darren Rouse, all these guys were being part of this uh, pro blogger, um, like, one-day seminar. Like, it was mm-hmm. going to be like – so that was a Thursday before the big World Domination Summit. So I was able to get a ticket for that, made sure I showed up early, and made sure that I sat in the, the frickin' front row. You Perfect. Know, just so Perfect. that – uh, oh yeah, the face. Scott, I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but on top of that, I was wearing a T-shirt that had Tiffany Amethyst as Kelly Kapowski. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, t- I I did a selfie and tweeted it to Pat, and I go, dude, I don't know if you saw this because I I didn't get a really chance to meet him, but mm-hmm. I was we were tweeting back and forth. He goes, dude, I saw you rocking that shirt. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So anyway, those are other tips. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Right. So those are other tips to add on top of your networking. <laughs> <laughs> that is oh. great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I am. I'll follow up to you later as soon as this is all done, and um, you know, just keep. I'll keep in touch. And like I said, I'm part of your um, email list, and and I loved your book, and I actually have gone through it, and you know, I bought the audio version too, which is great. And it's actually funny because your both your podcasts on Chris Tucker and uh, Jesse Eichmann's uh, Business of Film and your your audio book, um, I listened to it at double speed. So this is really the first time oh, I've actually ever heard your you speak in a regular <laughs> tone. <laughs> that is hilarious. That is so funny. Hmm. What do you know? Well, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you. You have a wonderful, wonderful day. I've got to get cleaned up and ready for this audition. For this All right. We'll break movie. a leg. Thanks. It's, break a leg. Yeah. It's it's fun up here. Um, it's totally mellow. I don't know. I don't know how I ended up in Portland. I was from San Diego and I spent a lot of time in LA, mm-hmm. um, but we moved up here about four years ago and I just started to get back into acting a couple of years ago. That, that my daughter was older and I was sure. older. Yep, and, and you like, could. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was like, eh, what the hell? So that's great. Awesome. Well, enjoy right. your your little boy. Thank you. Four or five. Oh my gosh. Four, almost five. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's just get as many hugs in as possible. <laughs> I try to do it <laughs> now, and my daughter's like, dude, it's really awkward. I'm twelve. Enough, right. <laughs> Enough, Dad. <laughs> I was like, oh, you don't understand. You were so cute when you were so little. I know. <laughs> Well, you enjoy your time, and I definitely hope to meet up in person one of these days. Are Sounds you, great. 
Do you get ever? Do you ever get to uh, Los Angeles or the? I do. I do frequently, and actually, every year I do. Um, I host the pitch conference at the American Film Market. Oh, cool! Um, and so I think that's November 9th mm-hmm. this year. So should you be attending the American Film Market or other people? Um, please come on by and say hello. Heck yeah! Um, and that's always a fun event where people get to pitch their projects and then get critique from me and Cassie and Elwes, um, and. It's very, it's it's always a good time. I love how you just sort of casually dropped Casey and Elway's name. He's like one of the most <laughs> prominent, like, independent producers around. <laughs> right. Like, where else do you get him who has produced something like 278 movies, truly, and used to be the head of William Morris um, uh, independent film? Like, he critiques everybody's pitches right there on stage. So oh it's, my God. it's a pretty cool thing. And he gives the winner, at least the last year, the last couple of years, because this is now the fifth year that we've done it, um, that the last year he just said, okay, I'm going to give $500 from my personal checkbook to whoever has the best pitch. It was great. Wow. And he did. And he did it right there. <laughs> wow. What was the yep. pitch? Like, 12 years a slave. No, just kidding. The- <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a, it was a really great pitch. It was it was really, it was funny. It, it's it's really interesting each year how different the pitches are. So I'll be interested to see what this year holds. Cool. So for everybody, again, that's the American Film Market in Santa Monica in November. Mm-hmm. Look for it. The Pitch Fest. Stephanie Palmer. Gosh, thank you so much for your time. It is my pleasure. Thanks so much, Scott. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Right, bye now. <laughs> and that concludes my interview with Stephanie Palmer of Good in a Room. All you have to do is go to goodinaroom.com and you get all the information you need to know about Stephanie. Definitely get the book. It's totally worth it. It's a must that you sign up for her email um, newsletters because she provides a lot of great value in her uh, email newsletters. As you know, I always close out my podcast with a free gift offer and that is at free gearguide.com that again is freegearguide.com and it's an equipment list of everything that I use to make a feature film with no crew so it's really just kind of a fun like quick look see of like oh here's he used this equipment this 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 and this and like oh you might say oh I have that I have that or that's on that's cool I don't think about getting that anyhow again that's at freegearguide.com and when you sign up to get that particular uh, equipment list You'll be signed up for the email newsletter where I try to supply you with even more uh, valuable information on becoming a filmmaking entrepreneur slash film trooper. Thanks for listening to the Film Trooper Podcast, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.